We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. It's good to see everyone. This is a super day to be here, isn't it? I remember Tommy always when he uh, preached the evening services for so many years. In the morning, he would say, uh, we'll see all of you later. And I and the international students will be here tonight for the evening service. And that's the way it was for a lot of time. But you guys are the rock stars. You have shown up, and I'm so grateful to see you. Very thankful. I told someone this morning um, that in a, a, an over a 20-something year period, I'd only missed church on Sunday mornings four times. Once I was out of the country, and then three times ill in, in a few, uh, little over 20, 20-something years at one section of the ministry. And um, two of those three years that I was ill were on Super Bowl Sunday. And it was a hard time for me convincing them that, uh, you know, I really was ill for those two times or those three times and especially those two on Super Bowl Sunday. But so one of my friends this morning said, oh, I'm glad to see you here today. And I I went, (coughs) felt like a cough coming on, but wasn't that so glad you're here because every Sunday is a super Sunday with the Lord. I love this passage. So I want to dive right in. And um, I'm thankful Mark just prayed. We might have come here tonight with anxiety, struggles, depression. We might have come here tonight with struggles that we're facing in our family, financially, emotionally, mentally, all of us spiritually. Every one of us are susceptible to those things, but we have a good, good God. I love that song, Speak Jesus Over That. It's not a magic potion that we speak his name, and it's not our power that we invoke him, but it is something special that God the Father has placed in the name of Jesus. The name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is the Lord. We began uh, in December looking at the Christmas story. We looked at the babe of Bethlehem. We looked at the temple where Jesus was taken by his parents at eight days old for the dedication. We looked at Jesus immediately when he's uh, 12 years old. He was back in the temple And remember, we talked about discipleship. He sat there, listened, asked questions, answered questions, grew in wisdom and in favor with God. And man, we saw the picture of discipleship in that story. Jesus, at 30 years old, was instantly, beginning of his ministry, driven to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Hello to work uh, to ministry. And then he went back and preached in his own hometown. And they tried to throw him down a cliff. So... The beginning of his ministries really started out well, uh, humanly speaking, but he is the perfect, the perfect son of God with the greatest message the world has ever known. So tonight, uh, we looked at the early years in Jesus' life, and those were several messages that we talked about. Then we began talking about the wonder years, and I shared with you two miracles in the Gospel of Luke. There are different classifications of miracles, miracles, signs, wonders. Uh, They are different works that Jesus did. We looked at two of them last time where he raised someone from the dead. He raised two people from the dead, one a young man and one a little girl. And we saw that he has power even over death. And aren't you glad that our God does? Because if this world is all there is to it, it's not good. That's not all there is to it because there is another. There's an eternity and there are those that have uh, loved Christ and gone on ahead of us. They're just waiting on us 
And I look forward to that time. I love all of you. I love my family. I love my wife and children, grandson. But, uh, but I love my Lord, and I want to go be with him. So we're going to look a little bit further tonight in the wonder years, in what Jared read to us in Luke chapter 5 in those first few verses. Another miracle, this is not raising from the dead. This is a classification I want to call the wondrous miracles. They're not necessarily healings. We'll see some of those later. Uh, I want to encourage you to come back next week. We've got something special for you. It's a surprise, so, so uh, I can't tell you, but please come back next week if you can. And I'm thankful for all of uh, you. I really mean that that are here tonight. If, not, if, not, if I've not met you or you need anything that I could uh, do for you tonight, please let me know before you leave. I want you to look with me at a wondrous miracle. Now it happened. Verse 1. That's like breaking out the storybook with your little child once upon a time. Once upon a time. But this is a literal story that took place at a literal happening in a space, a place that I've, I've actually had the privilege of being. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, that a phrase of God, if you've ever studied Greek before, it's a subjective genitive. And what that means, it just shows that that's where the source came from. It's the word of God. That means it came from him. That's all that means there. That uh, people were listening to it as the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now that's another name in the New Testament for simply the Sea of Galilee. You're probably very familiar with it. It's been called the Sea of Chinnereth before. Today in Israel, they would call it the, the Sea of Tiberias. The city of Tiberias is just to one side on the bank. I got to do my quiet times one time. Uh, getting up at, at that hotel at Tiberias and going out there early in the morning and watching the sun come up above the, the mountains on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And I, I wrote a journal that week uh, to have memories of my visit to Israel and Jerusalem. And I wrote it like I was talking to Jesus. Jesus, how many times did you sit here and see the sun come up over those mountains? And just a special time uh, in my life, in my memory. The Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles uh, wide, about 7 miles long, 700 feet below sea, sea level. Uh, Josephus, if you're familiar with him, he was a historian of the day. So there are very early books, along with our early manuscripts of the Bible being written, there were early history books. Josephus was a meticulous historian, and he wrote much about things as they were happening uh, here in the Bible, and these, these things, uh, where they went and, and who they were. And he says that about this time, there were about 3 million people in Galilee. Now, that's a lot during that time. Galilee is a region, and, and so about 3 million people. I don't ever think of there being that many people around the Sea of Galilee at that time, but uh, that's what he says. And it's, it's a place also where a lot of Jesus' ministry took place. If you go around to the north, he spoke the Sermon on the Mount, and, and just down the road is Capernaum where he, he spent a lot of time with his disciples. A lot of things were done on the Sea of Galilee in the Scriptures and around the Sea of Galilee. So we're at that setting. There's been a crowd following him because he's already done miracles, and, and uh, it's an amazing, amazing thing that, that the people are hearing. Who is this teacher from 
from Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. Who is this Jewish teacher? He speaks as one having authority. He's not like our uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, our, our religious leaders. He has power to do things. And so the crowds were really gathering and following him. The crowd was pressing in. They were listening to the word of God. And that tells us that these people were seeking. It's not a group here necessarily that was coming to persecute Jesus. They were listening to the word of God. So they wanted to hear more. And it said he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen were, had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. Uh, four, at least, of Jesus' apostles were fishermen. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, that was their profession. To fish on the Sea of Galilee, it's not like we would with a, with a rod and reel where you cast it out with a lure. Uh, they would, they would uh, catch fish with nets. Sometimes they would pull those nets between two boats to drag. Still do that some places in the ocean today. Um, it was not like throwing a hook out there that we're very familiar with from the bank or even from a boat. These guys were fishermen. They were professionals. Their livelihood depended on catching fish. Most of the time they were successful catching fish at night. That's just the way it was in this, on the Sea of Galilee and at this time. Um, it's interesting that during the, the first century and the later part of the first century, Christians were persecuted quite a bit. And you probably know that the sign of the fish was the sign where a person, a Christian with his sandal would draw or her sandal would draw the sign of a fish in the sand. And that would designate that they are confessing that they're a Christian and others would see that and join with them. So a fish shows up a lot of times. I had a friend who was a, a boat a marina owner. And he just loved these passages about boats and fish. He just says, you know, that's Bible. You need to get yourself a boat and go fishing all the time. I think he was just trying to get, sell some more boats, but he's right. It does talk a lot about boats fishing in the scriptures. And that was something that was very, um, very familiar with the apostles. The jumbled letters of the Greek word for fish come out, ichthus. Did anybody ever go to a church that had on the altar table at the front, ichthus? And that was a symbol there of the, the, uh, a Christian confession, Jesus Christ, God's only son, my Lord and Savior. And that's what that word means. It's interesting. I want you to notice too, it says that the, the fishermen were out of their boats and they were washing their nets. Another version says they were mending their nets. I want to take time to tell you just a little bit about that. Is it important to wash your nets? These kind of nets could get tangled up. You ever been fishing with one before? It's very easy to do that. Uh, they could get caught up with something. Something could get in there and, and twist it up, and, and the effectiveness of the net wouldn't work. They could break over time, they would have to be sewn and repaired. There's a lot of things. They could catch a lot of uh, weed from the bottom of the lake. They could catch a lot of things and make it to where the nets didn't function properly. I used that theme in 2020. Uh, when I think back right now, how long ago has something happened? I have this block in, in 2020 for some reason. Do you have any idea why? 
that was the strangest year we've ever lived through. The, when the, the virus came and, the, and our whole world was different, I'd never heard of social distancing and, and sheltering at home and all kinds of things like that. But it came really strong on my heart that in the ministry, one of them that I'm responsible for, legacy, that's all the adults there, 55 and above in our church, was that it was a time we couldn't meet together in here. We couldn't preach on Sunday nights. I couldn't. We had to do it by this new thing called Zoom. I had never heard of that before. Zoom is what I thought airplanes did up in the sky. I had no idea. And yet I use it several times a week now and I have for all these years. We couldn't meet together. We couldn't be in one another's homes. We couldn't even go to the grocery store very much. Our lives were altered so greatly. And it came really strong. And in our uh, staff, in our office, I chose that for the theme of 2020, a time to wash our nets, a time to mend our nets. And what we did literally was we looked at all the things we do in the legacy ministry and we examined those. God, do you want us to do this? Is it beneficial? Is it good? Do you want us to change something? And I use that illustration because if a, if a fisherman just decided, I'm not going to wash my nets, I'm not going to repair them, I'm not going to clean, what's going to happen eventually someday? He's going to miss out on catching fish because he's got something plugged up, he's got something torn, it's not clean, and he can't catch fish the way he should. And our lives too. It pays for us to sit down and to step back just a little bit and to look inside. I have to do that all the time, to look inside of our own lives and ask God, are my priorities in the right place? Am I doing what you want me to do? And so when I think about them literally um, going and having to, to wash their nets and mend their nets, we have to do that sometimes too. During COVID-19, I wrote some of these things down. When we got stuck at home, talking about mending our nets. Um, if any of you are married, does your spouse have a list of things that they want you to do around the house? If they don't, I want to meet you before I leave here tonight and shake your hand. Uh, let me give you an example. There were several things needing to be done at our home. During this shelter in place, we had to replace our glass shower that shattered somehow. I don't know how that happened. Yes, I do know how that happened, but it's my fault but we had to replace it. We put down floor in one room. The garbage disposal had to be replaced. It went out. We had to have electric work done, plumbing work done. We had to repair a grill because it burned up. I had to paint the shop that I'd built in the backyard. We had to fix brick in front of our house. The garage door spring broke and I had to get that fixed. I had to get a new hot water heater. It quit. All the while, my wife Holly was sewing hundreds of, of cloth masks for people to use. We had to mend our nets. We had to fix a lot of things around the house. And I think that's a good thing for us to do is sit back and take time sometimes to wash our nets, to mend our nets. Well, you may say, well, I can't fish. I can't fish and do what I'm supposed to be doing if I'm washing these nets. But if you don't take care of those nets, you won't be able to fish at all. So I think that's a good illustration for us to look at. He saw these men, fishermen, out of their boats. They had, uh, were washing their nets because they fished. In verse 3, he says, He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. One thing you probably know, if you've been out in boats or on a lake before, your voice carries. If you're out there on the lake and you want to say something about the people in the boat uh, across from the lake, don't do it. 
because your voice can carry across there and they can probably hear what you're saying. I think about Jesus preaching and teaching at the Sermon on the Mount, which is just north of the Sea of Galilee. And if you've ever been there before, your voice carries. It's amazing the way God has made the nature in different ways. Acoustics. There's some places, uh, I know some people built a nice new gymnasium, our gym. Very hard to hear in there because the acoustics aren't good. But Jesus got into a boat, and when he began to speak, his voice would carry, so it was a good place to teach. He happened to get in one person's boat that was Simon's, Simon Peter. We know that the steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord. The steps of the Son of God are ordered by the Lord too, aren't they? Was it an accident he got in Peter's boat? I want to ask you to be thinking before we get through here tonight, what really got caught in this story? We're talking about fish, but what really got caught in this story? He says, he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put it out a little way from the land. Um, he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, master. It's interesting. This word in Greek is epistates, E-P or status, E-P-I-S-T-A-T-E-S, however you pronounce that. And that's a respectful term. That's like sir. That's just like saying sir. Master, we have worked all night and have caught nothing. Now, what could Peter be thinking right now? I don't want to put th thoughts in his mind and words in his mouth, but what could he be thinking? I'm tired. We have been fishing all night. We've already tried to catch. It's not going to be a night. Something's not right. The fish are not biting. Their fish are not where we can find them and catch them in the net. Uh, it's just not... I'm the professional, Jesus. You're a rabbi. I'm the fisherman. Could we not be thinking that Could, just like we might be? Remember these words, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So there are times when the scripture tells us don't lean on your own understanding. He's saying you do have understanding about things, but when we're dealing with the Son of God, the creator of the universe, we don't lean and trust in what we know. We trust in what God can do, and that's anything. So here, I could just picture Peter. He's not going to ask us to go out there and fish. I'm tired, and we're washing our nets so we can be ready to fish, and the next time, and this is our livelihood, and we're professionals. We know how to do this. But I love the next part of it, and that's what I need to do sometimes. Simon Peter, put out the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night and caught nothing, but your version may say, nevertheless, I like that. Nevertheless, I will do as you say and let down the nets. I love that about Peter. We've already tried. We've, we're not going to catch anything. We've worked hard all night. But something triggers inside of his soul. And he says, but if you tell me to, 
Did Peter have a mother-in-law that was sick? And Jesus healed her, didn't he? There's something that happens in Peter's soul right there. If you tell me to, I'll do that. Uh, there's another in John chapter 21, verse 6, and there is a story that's very similar to this. We're going to see that the net starts breaking on this one. There's another one uh, after Jesus was raised from the dead, and he tells them to cast the net on the right side, and he duplicates this miracle for them. In that time, the Bible says the net doesn't break. Matthew 17, 27 there's a time when Jesus told Peter, go fishing, and you're going to find, because they had asked Jesus, is it lawful for us to pay taxes? Wouldn't that have been good if Jesus said, no, you don't have to do that? He didn't. He said, yes, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Peter, go fishing, and you're going to catch a fish, and in that fish's mouth, you're going to find a coin, and that's going to be taxes for you and me. So God's done miraculous things with fish before. Remember the Old Testament? A prophet named Jonah was called to go and to preach to the Ninevites. He didn't want to go, and he tried to run from God. And A storm came, and they threw him over the boat, and God had ordained a big fish to swallow him up. Uh, God has control of the fish. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been fishing and you have tried all day long to catch a fish, it gets tired. It's called, uh, it's called fishing. It's not called catching, someone told me one time. I did go with a friend of our church one time, and his boy was a teenager, young teenager. We went about 6 o'clock in the morning at a private stock tank, and it was huge, but we knew that there was a lot of fish there. I didn't get to fish at all because I kept taking the fish off of the, the hook for the young boy. It was one of the most fun times I ever had because as soon as he would throw that out there, he'd start reading it in. He'd catch a fish. I'd put my pole down, I'd take it off. He'd throw it back out there again. I'd pick my pole up, he would start reeling it in. I'd put my pole down and take the fish. And it was just a really, really fun time. I say all that to say God knows where the fish are. And questions that you and I might have in our life too, he tells us, Mike, don't lean on what you think, your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and God will direct your path. God knows where the fish are. And so he goes on in this beautiful story. Oh, by the way, does he know when a sparrow falls to the ground? He does, doesn't he? Hebrews says, 10, 29, there's no creature hidden from his sight. Hebrews 4, 13. Verse 6, when they had done this, when they had obeyed the words of the Son of God, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. When was the last time you went fishing on Lake Ray, uh, on uh, Lake, whatever this is? Uh, what is it up here? Ray Roberts, yes. Uh, I was thinking Ray Hubbard. Uh, Ray Roberts, and you caught so many fish, you had to call somebody, come help us get, gather them in because we caught too many. I have never made that phone call. That would be fun. But they did. They had to motion to somebody else. They brought their boat out there. And they, they filled up both boats so much that the boat started sinking. They caught so many fish. When I was reading that this week, I thought about the verses that says, Now unto him who is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. Would you agree with me? Sometimes we ask too little. We ask of God and look at him as too small. God's able to do anything. The Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, 
shaking together and running over. David, the psalmist of the Old Testament said, my cup overflows. And that's what kind of God that we have to, do, to, uh, to deal with. He's a God of abundance. That doesn't mean that he's going to make everybody rich if they'll just go to church. That's not what he's saying. But he fills us. He overfills us and loves to do that. He filled those boats. There were so many that it began to sink. But it says, verse 8, and this is one of the key things. But when Simon Peter saw that, now he'd seen some other miracles already. He'd heard a lot of great words from Jesus. But when he saw that, Peter knew this has to be a miracle from, uh, from God. This is probably the greatest catch of fish there ever had been. Nobody's ever heard of anything like this before. When Peter saw that, did he say, I want to take Jesus fishing with me every night. That's what I want to do. Did he say, hey, we've got enough food now to sell and we're going to make it through the year. Something special happens in this story. You remember last week when I talked to you about the purpose of the miracles? The purpose of the miracles are not just for us to say, wow, that's something. The purpose of the miracles is so that we'll believe everything Jesus says. We know you're from God because no man can do these miracles that you do. Okay, we'll believe what I tell you then. Believe the words of Jesus. And that's the purpose for the miracles. He didn't say, my church is going to go around doing miracles all the time. If that was his will, we would be doing that all the time. It would become very, very common. The dead would be raised. The sick would be healed all the time. You wouldn't have to worry about if it's the Lord's will. He would just do that. That's not what he came to the earth for. He came to the earth so that we would hear his word and believe. And we would be raised from the dead, from the deadness of our sins. Is it not an amazing fact that every one of us here in this room here tonight, there's nothing Jesus can't change in our lives? Don't listen to a therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist. Don't listen to uh, anybody that tells you, you are this and you'll always be this. You will never change. There's an impossibility for you to be changed. That is just not true. If it were, I need to go home. I just need to quit opening this Bible and quit talking about Jesus. Jesus said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things are new. How many things? All things. There's nothing he can't change. So that, that gives me hope. Gives me encouragement. I want to tell you something. The only difference between you and me here tonight is I'm standing up. I got the same kind of struggles that you go through, the same kind of needs, same kind of weaknesses, and I'm so excited that God can change anything. Jesus can change anything about our lives. We have a ministry of several people, men and women, that go into jails here from Denton Bible. They've done it for decades. And it's a pleasure when I'm standing in the foyer and someone walks up to me and says, do you know so-and-so? And it's one of those people that serve in the jail ministry. And I say, sure. Well, is he or she here? And I said, I haven't seen him, but I'll get a word to him. And, and they say, I want, I want them to know I came to church. I got out of jail. God used them in my life. I listened to what they said. I've come to know Jesus. My life has changed and I'm in church now. Would you tell them? I said, I can't wait to tell them. And praise God for your new life. Boy, it would be a sad thing for us to say we're a church and 
we don't have the great news that Jesus can change anybody's life. Billy Graham used to say that one of the greatest needs in our uh, incarcerated community, jails and prisons, is many of them don't think they can be forgiven. But they can. That woman taken in adultery in the Gospel of John, thrown down in the midst, brought to Jesus. This woman's been taken in adultery. The law of the Old Testament says stone her to death. What do you say? I always wondered. They brought the woman and threw her down in front of Jesus. Why didn't they bring the man? Should have brought the man, thrown him down first. But they didn't. They threw that woman down. And you remember what Jesus said. That's the time that he stooped down and started riding in the, in the sand on the ground. We don't know what he wrote and uh, we can't say what he wrote, but what if he was writing the sins of all those people standing there about ready to throw a rock at her? I always thought about that. Liar, cheat, adulterer, thief. Because he knows what all they did and he knows all about us too, right? I wonder what he wrote. When we get to heaven, we can ask him that. But then he said those beautiful words. You that don't have any sin, he that's without sin, you cast the first stone. You know the only one that could have cast a stone there that night, that day? Jesus himself. And he turned to that woman, he said, where are your accusers? Who condemns you? Jesus said, the, the woman said, no man, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Stop what you're doing that you know is wrong. Turn around, but I don't condemn you. The Gospel of John says the Son of God came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. There's a day that we're going to be condemned. There's a day that uh, it's going to come about. Tommy said this morning, he read that we are in an age of amnesty right now. We're in the age of grace. And God's not judging people immediately for their sins like he did before. We're in an age that he wants people to come to know Christ and be forgiven and washed. And so look what happened with Peter in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw that, when he saw this miracle right in front of his eyes, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord. It's interesting. You remember up there I said that Peter used that word, the Greek word that was for just like a respectful sir in uh, verse 5, master. Now he calls him Lord. And that's the word in Greek, kurios, which means God. He's gone from sir to God, Lord. He says, depart from me, Lord. Go away, for I'm a sinful man. Now, we've got to ask ourselves, what in the world's happened here? How could catching a lot of fish make Peter be so impacted and confronted with his own sin and weaknesses that he said, Jesus, please go away from me. I can't be close to you. If he was just humanly speaking, he'd say, hey, you're my buddy. Can you come back tomorrow and we'll catch some more fish? But he didn't do that. He says, depart from me, Lord. Get away. I'm a sinful man. That's the power of the miracles. The miracle was not just to fill their boats up with fish. The miracle was to get inside of Peter's life. It was to get Jesus, uh, his word into his, in Peter's heart for Peter to believe what Jesus said. And, God, and he did miracles to show he had power that no one else had. I've thought about that often in my life. 
He fell down at Jesus' feet. Peter is usually a pretty strong-willed, self-made man doing his own thing. But when he was confronted with this miracle, he fell down. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Can you remember any other times in the Scripture? Um, There was a time when Luke chapter 18, verse 13, Jesus tells that story about two men going to the temple. And one of them was talking about all that he gave to the poor and all that he did. He was giving his resume and his credentials. And he looked at another man over here and he said, And I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this old sinner over here. You ever been in a church like that? It's full of ladies called Sister Bertha better than you. Have you ever heard her of her? It's called, uh, it's people that think they're better than someone else. And that's what that man did. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this old sinner over here. And the Bible says that that sinner over there was beating his breast saying, have mercy on me, Lord. I'm a sinner. Which one do you think God's going to hear? Yeah, that humble one. I think about uh, Isaiah. The Lord said, who shall I send? And Isaiah said, "Uh, Lord, send me. And the Lord but he was confronted with the fact he said, I'm a, I dwell in, a, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. God, my life's not what it should be. He was confronted with the awesomeness of God. You ever been there? You ever been sitting in church or in a revival somewhere, a football stadium? You ever been somewhere where somebody's given a devotion and the Holy Spirit gripped your heart and convicted you of your sin? I have. And it's like nobody else is in that place because God's dealing right with us. It's just like he's grabbed a hold of our heart and he is just twisted a little bit because his word penetrates deep down in our lives and I knew I had to repent and get right with him. Can God get us right? When Isaiah said, oh Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't talk well. I don't say words that I should say and I do say words I shouldn't say. But the Bible says, an angel being caused to fly swiftly. I love that phrase. We don't know how fast an angel can fly, but they can get here from heaven to earth in a second. It says he came and brought a flaming coal from the off of the altar of God where the fire of God was. And he had had tongs to hold that. If an angel can't even hold it, it's that pretty hot. And he took a coal of fire off the altar of God with tongs And he came down to this earth and he touched Isaiah's lips. Isaiah couldn't do for himself what he needed, but God can do for us what we need just like he did for Isaiah. And then God said, who shall I send? And Isaiah said, send me, Lord. God can take care of our deficiencies. I think about when uh, Samson... Samson's father, Manoah, said to his wife, we're going to die. They'd seen an angel from God, and, and uh, they'd seen the, the, these miracles that the angel did in, in entering into that fire and going up back unto God. And they, they thought, literally, I'm going to die because we've been in the presence of the, the mighty angel of God. John the Apostle in the, the book of Revelation, he had, saw, he had seen so many uh, visions that, that he fell down like a dead man. Ezekiel, uh, he saw a vision from God and he fell on his face in Ezekiel chapter 1. There are just so many different instances when they came in the presence of God, the power of God, man was confronted how weak and how sinful we are. 
Peter sought to send Jesus away, but Jesus sought to, to bring Peter near. Let me say that again. Jesus, uh, Peter sought to send Jesus away. Depart from me, Lord. But Jesus sought to bring Peter close to him. Aren't you glad he does that? Verse 9, for amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. They were confronted with a power they had never seen before. Peter is soon going to be able to get out of the boat and walk on the water because Jesus tells him to. These apostles got to see mighty miracles where Jesus was power over nature and he was power over death, disease. He's power over everything. And here, Peter, James, and John saw it and, and Peter and Andrew, his brother, and Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. One of the times in the scripture, he rehearses that over and over again. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. I'm going to make you fishers of men. You've caught fish out of the Sea of Galilee, Peter and Andrew and James and John, you apostles. But now, I tell you what, you're going to catch men. You're going to catch the souls of men. Did you know this is the third time? that Jesus called some of these people to come and follow him. In John chapter 1, uh, verses 35 to 51, he called the disciples and told them about salvation, but they returned to their fish, fishing uh, nets and their boats. They went back to fishing. In uh, Matthew chapter 4, he called them again, the disciples, to go out and witness, but you know what they did? They went back and started fishing again. Both of those calls that Jesus made for them to follow him, they went back to their careers and their vocation. But this is the third time. And notice what it says in verse 11. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This was a turning point. When they saw this miracle, it so affected their lives, they got rid of the boats. They didn't go fishing anymore. And they followed Jesus. You know what they'd found? They'd found the, the pearl of great price in the field. Remember the story that Jesus told? The kingdom of God is like a man who, who wants to buy a field. Or, and uh, he, he finds a pearl of great price in that. And he says, I'll go and sell all that I have and buy that. Because there's a treasure. They had found the pearl of great price. They, had, they were like Elisha when he was called to take Elijah's place. Elisha burned all of the, the yoke and the, the yoke that were around the oxen and made a sacrifice and the altar before God there and, and went and followed, followed Elijah. Like you and me. Uh, what would you have done if you were Matthew and you were a tax collector? You were a tax collector. Uh, probably not a very popular person in that day because he would probably be uh, collecting taxes for Rome and he's a Jew, and so he would be looked at as a traitor because you're doing that against our people and you're helping the Romans. And Jesus walked by his tax collecting table one day and he just looked over there at Matthew, same one that wrote the gospel and said, come follow me. And it said he left everything. Because when you found the best, 
you don't have to keep looking. When you found the answer, you can follow that answer and not worry about anything left behind. How does that apply to us? Well, have you ever had something like that happen? You might not have caught a lot of fish. There hadn't been a miracle take place with a lightning bolt that's come out of heaven. You might not have seen a miraculous raising from the dead or a healing right in front of your eyes. That's okay. But you know, in this story, I want you to see there was something caught a whole lot better than all those fish. It was Peter. Peter was the one that needed to be caught that day. And he was never the same after this. When he saw what miracle Jesus did, and he humbled himself before God, and he said, I'm a a sinful man. I, I don't need to be close to you. You're not sinful. I am sinful. And Jesus didn't turn him away. Peter told him to get away, but Jesus said, no, come near. And that's what he's done for you and me. I remember the very first day that I wept tears for my sin. I remember when my younger brother, as a young teenager, got up out of a football stadium seat where we'd all gone to hear a preacher in our football stadium. And he walked down on that field and prayed to receive Christ in his life. He's never been the same since. I remember the night that my older brother and his wife asked me over to eat dinner at their house and Uh, I'd seen my older brother do lots of things, but I'd never seen what I saw that night take place when he looked at me and he said, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I died, I wouldn't go to heaven. And I said, Rocky, do you want to be sure? And he said, yes. And he prayed to receive Christ that night. He's never been the same. Jesus wanted to catch something in this story, but it wasn't all the fish. He wanted to catch Peter. Peter wanted to send Jesus away, but Jesus wanted to bring Peter close. Jesus got into Peter's boat for a reason. But more importantly, he got into Peter's life. So I just want to ask you, have you invited Christ to be the Lord of your life, to be in control so that you don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways you acknowledge him? And are you letting him direct your path? I want to tell you, it's fun to be a Christian. I don't have to make all the decisions about my life. I need to do the best that I believe the Lord's guiding me to do with the knowledge he gives me in the parameters of his word, and then I leave it up to him because he's the one that guides my footsteps, and he's the one that did that for Peter that day. So I hope you know that. If you don't, we'd love to talk with you about tonight because Jesus came not to catch a lot of fish that night. He came to catch Peter. It's interesting Uh, someone once said, they catch fish so they can kill the fish. Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men and catch men so they can live forever. And that's what this beautiful story is all about. At the height of their careers, Peter and Andrew, James and John, they probably were the best fishermen they'd ever been. They left it all to go follow this Jesus. How many of you remember Franco Harris? Remember Franco Harris, Pittsburgh Steeler? Uh, very familiar catch that it appears like he made. They asked Franco Harris. He's just passed away recently. It's called the Immaculate Reception. And he supposedly catches uh, and intercepts a ball or, or catches the ball. 
And you can't see the bottom half of it on the film. There was no camera angle back at that time. You can't see whether the ball hit the ground or not. But they, the referees ruled that he caught the ball and he goes and they win the game and he's a big hero. It's called the Immaculate Reception. Till the day Franco Harris died, when they asked him, they said, did the ball hit the ground? He said, I'm not going to say. <laughs> it probably did. Nowadays, we've got about 100 cameras, don't we? And they could see exactly what happened, but that, back then they didn't. It's called the catch. And it was pretty popular for a long time. I tell you what, there's no football catch going on right now. And I'm about to let you all out of here. There's no football catch going on right now that compares to what was caught in this story. The immaculate reception. This is even better than that. I want to close with a story that I, I, I listened to Tim Tebow's testimony. This may not be exactly right, but I, ho I hope it is. Uh, real quickly, he was giving his testimonies. He was born in Philippines to Baptist missionary parents. Uh, they told his, his mom that there were going to be complications. She needed to abort the baby, and she didn't. Uh, he ends up being a football player, you know, Florida State, BCS National Championships, two years. He won the Heisman uh, Trophy as a sophomore, which is uh, quite an accomplishment. He was an MVP of National Championship. He came to the NFL for a while. You remember he wore eye black here that keeps you the, the glare from blinding you. And he had written... Back, back in college, he'd put Philippians 4.13 all year long, back when they were winning those championships, Philippians 4.13. But on one of the last games, he decided to put John 3.16. You remember that? Back when, uh, this is before he knelt down to pray and they, you know, somebody said, you can't do that. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, he put John 3.16. And it was interesting, 94 million people Googled John 3.16 that during that game. Did you know that? 94 million people. And when he's giving his testimony, he said, that's amazing. But he said, all I could think of was 94 million people don't know what John 3.16 is. Three years later, he's in the NFL. And this is one of the best games where he does a comeback and they, they beat, uh, I think, Pittsburgh and uh, get a chance to go on the playoffs. They get beat later on, I believe. But he's playing for the Denver, Denver Broncos. And... Uh, his PR guy comes in three years later to the day they win an exciting game against Pittsburgh. The PR man for the team that Tebow was on comes in and he says, do you realize this? It was three years ago when you put that eye black on there with John 316. He says, oh no, that's cool. And uh, the NFL had made a rule. Now you can't do that. That just, oh, they said you can't pray either on the field, but they broke that one, didn't they? God can cause somebody to die on the field, have a heart attack, and make people bow their knees. I loved it. But his PR guy came in. If this is true, this is really cool. Uh, came in and said, I got to tell you what happened. He said, do you realize during this game, which is three years from the time you put John 3.16, do you realize during this game you threw for 316 yards? They wouldn't let you put John 3.16 up here, but in the stats... You threw for 316 yards. Did you know that your rushes, your yards per rush were 3.16 to 9? Did you know that your completion ratio was 31.6 to 9 in this game? And did you know the time of possession for the other team was 31.06 minutes during the game? And at the end, 
of when they, you did the comeback, the ratings for this show were rated at 31.6. I love things like that. He just says in his testimony, I didn't know what God was doing. And that night, again, 90 million people, we understand, Google John 3.16. Well, I want to close tonight because the greatest immaculate reception is when Jesus comes in our heart. John 1.12 says, if as many as received him, to them gave you the power of the right to become a child of God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, aren't you glad you're a whoever, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The wonder years, the catch that we ought to be talking about that's greater than all the rest. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this story. It's a beautiful time that we look at a miracle you did. Oh, Lord, thank you that you caught Peter that night. It wasn't about the fish. It was about souls of men. It's not about numbers. If Peter was the only one alive, you would have still died for him on the cross. And if someone's here tonight wondering if they're important to you, would you let them know if they're the only ones that ever lived, you would have still died on the cross for them. If you're not sure you're saved here tonight, you can know before you leave this, this building. The Bible teaches if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Jesus said, no, come close to me. I'm the son of God. Bless us, Lord. And thank you for this passage, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.